0: Go to CloudOptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's CloudOptimizer.com.
1: Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, a regular check-in with apparel industry insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. This podcast series is made possible by Cotton Incorporated, a not-for-profit company funded by U.S. cotton producers and importers, and whose mission is to increase the demand and profitability of cotton. Discover what cotton can do. Welcome to Rivet 50 Radio. I'm Edward Hertzman, the president of Sourcing Journal and Rivet. Today, we're speaking with Robert McMillan, owner of Dearborn Denim, a Made in America denim brand for men and women. Robert, welcome and thank you for joining. Thank you for having me, Edward. So, Robert, first question: You're at the helm of a denim brand, but your professional background is actually in bond trading. Uh, sounds like a crazy shift. What motivated you to make this the the change to fashion?
0: I was um, I was in bond trading for eight years, and uh, it didn't speak to me, and I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. I had originally looked at making beer, uh, you know, starting a craft brewery. I was a home brewer. Um, but you know, you go to the, you know, local wine store or beer store and, uh, you see just a whole shelf of, uh, great products being made. Uh, so it seemed like it was going to be a little bit late to the game and a little bit, um, you know, hard to break into. So I, I actually started looking at apparel manufacturing more generally, um, probably in about 2014, Uh, I had started a silk screening company in in high school. uh, So I knew a little bit about apparel, but uh, I just put together uh, what it would look like to build an apparel manufacturer in Chicago, um, you know, start selling those products directly to customers. And it looked like it could work. Uh, I was excited about uh, the prospect of the kind of product that we'd be able to make. Uh, you know, just a great product ethically made in Chicago, um, at a reasonable price. And I wanted that to exist and, uh, it didn't. So I said, okay, let's give it a shot. Um, bought a whole bunch of sewing machines and started making jeans. Very cool. So the pandemic has created a number of
1: supply chain issues for brands with production partners overseas as a made in American brand. What has your experience been this past year?
0: Well, it's been uh, it's been difficult um, to say the least. Our, our stores, for example, we have uh, uh, three locations in Chicago, and they're uh, struggling. Uh, in store retail is, is down, but you know we are a primarily an e-commerce company, uh, and so our online sales have you know stayed relatively strong. Um, but also, we've had to do a lot of shifting around uh, in in the kind of that first major wave of the pandemic, we, we actually shut down our gene production and started making masks exclusively uh, for a number of the local hospitals. And, uh, and then we also, uh, near the end of it, started selling uh, to customers. Um, we've also had to kind of change how we operate. Uh, usually we rely on strictly gene sales, but um, we've uh, now started a pretty rapid pace of product releases uh, early early this year, and it'll continue for the rest of the year to uh, uh, you know maintain a, uh, a, a stable base. Uh, we haven't had to let go of any employees yet, uh, thankfully, and uh, I don't think we will have to. Uh, but it certainly hasn't been easy.
1: I've heard you say before the need for more made in America denim at an affordable price. You know, what's your advice for offering high quality? locally produced denim at a competitive price point? You know, when you tend to think of made in America, it's more of your, you know, downtown LA premium premium denim brands, but can this be done at a more scalable and accessible price point?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're pursuing. Uh, and I think it can be, uh, we have, uh, some very price competitive jeans that will be released later this year. Um, you know, it, it has turned out that, uh, we're not able to source our denim anymore from the United States. Uh, Both uh, Cone Mills shut down in 2017, uh, their white oak plant in North Carolina, and uh, the other uh, denim mill that we we really liked was Denim North America, and they've switched over to exclusively FR denim. So now we use the Paras Mexico uh, Cone Mills plant uh, as our primary source. Um, But, you know, we, we still manufacture everything stateside and we haven't um we haven't had really major we haven't had any major disruptions I would say uh with our system um the major disruptions are are primarily uh we have had a few uh times where we had to shut down the factory because you know somebody tested positive for covid and um you know but other than that uh we just keep working.
1: You know, it's interesting. One thing that we're hearing a lot over the past year is is how companies had way too much inventory. This has been a problem even pre-pandemic. And, you know, as if companies could manufacture closer to home or start to have a more agile supply chain, they won't have this need to buy six months out. You know, they can buy quicker, get products in, in three, four, five weeks, less, less MOQ, you know, less inventory liability. If it sells, they can replenish If it doesn't sell, the markdown won't be as, as drastic. And boom, they can keep bringing in new styles. Do you think this is one advantage to being close to home and manufacturing in America? Do you think this need to have a more, you know, to have more liquidity, to have a more agile supply chain will actually cause more companies to look at nearshoring, where before it was completely out of the
0: picture? I I think that's hard to say. Um, generally, it's 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 hard to change behavior uh, in my mind, um, and to redo an entire company's kind of process of okay, hey, we're gonna we're gonna operate on uh, tighter inventory, uh, which clearly has benefits, but uh, it also has costs too. You're gonna have uh, you know a higher labor cost per per item. Um, that being said, uh, we have started contract manufacturing for other brands, which is not something that we've done uh, previously, uh, and we can do that now because we're just really good at making jeans now, uh, and so we can overcome the uh, drastically higher, uh, you know, wages uh, in the United States uh, compared to other parts of the world, Southeast Asia, uh, and so while it won't be cheaper, uh, it is it is not. Wildly expensive and so um, so yeah we started we've started contract manufacturing. I think will other brands do that as well? Um, I think with time, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's a overnight shift by any means.
1: you know it may not be cheaper from an FOB perspective, but you know what I've been encouraging people to, to do is stop looking at the FOB and look at the total sell-through and the, and the total margin. You know we're an industry that starts at what seventy eighty percent markup and ends up at single digits, if not losing money. So clearly, the math of going you know chasing the cheapest needle, running to you know the furthest country away, and and trying to predict six months in advance supply and demand hasn't been working hasn't been working either. So it, it, I do agree with you. It's very hard to change behavior, and it's very hard for people to to move their sourcing base. But uh, I am encouraged because I have seen two foreign manufacturers both open smaller micro factories in the LA area in the past year. So that, that shows you that they're seeing a need to, to shift even how they're doing business.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, it's not, it's not something that will happen overnight. And it could also be that, uh, certain aspects of the supply chain, uh, move a little bit closer to the customer. Um, Finishing, for example, Uh, and I know that's starting to, you know, you get you get blanks over and then finish them in some kind of particular uh, prefigure pre-configuration. I know I know some some people are starting to do that, um, which is fine. Uh, But, yeah, one of our advantages has been and continues to be that, uh, you know, from a roll of denim to whatever the style, wash, size, and length is uh, for that customer. It's, it's all, it's all done in house and our turnaround time is a few days. So you really
1: can't have a conversation without really talking about COVID, you know, these days. Um, it's obviously was, was a crazy year, um, to say the least. How would you say this, this past year's events influenced or changed the way you're currently running your business?
0: Hmm. Well, um, again, it's, it's, it's changed what our uh, game plan has been, where it's really putting a, a, a much stronger emphasis on our online sales. Um, and it, it, it's a gamble as to whether or not we're going to see a drop off of retail. Yeah. Will, will customers come back to stores is, is a big question. Um, and I'm not so sure. I would like them to i love i love uh you know i love our stores i think um, brick and mortar retail uh provides something to to communities uh that online doesn't um will people be wearing jeans to work or will they all be working from home again hard to say um but in terms of how we operate as a business um we're we are, we're differ- we are uh, accelerating our product diversification. So, uh, we were, are called Dearborn denim and apparel for a reason. Um, which was when we got started, I was thinking, you know, I'd really like to make jeans and other stuff. So we're, we're really, uh, expanding our, our selection of t-shirts and sweatshirts and, uh, performance underwear, for example. All that good stuff is coming down the pipe. You know,
1: one of the one of the big things that a lot of companies have, have, have realized this year is that they want to be in control of their distribution. And so there's been a huge emphasis on, on direct-to-consumer business, whereas relying on wholesale, opening your own stores. You know, what what's your take on that and how you look at the future of the brand? Is it is it all about DTC, e com? Is it is there a wholesale business to it? Is there opening You know a bunch of stores and and, you know you know a locations around the country and internationally like how do you look at the business differently now
0: well um i'm 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 clearly a proponent of direct-to-consumer uh models for uh specifically for manufacturing but i mean i mean when you say direct-to-consumer you can break it up in a whole bunch of different ways you can say uh well we make the jeans and we sell it directly to, to customers um I don't know how many people are uh how many brands are building their own factories now. Um but I think I think a lot of brands are very interested in owning their uh their path to their customers as opposed to going through, you know, Amazon, going through Walmart, going through uh major retailers. Um there there's something to be said for that, but it it's it's also a different uh, a different game plan. You can't um, necessarily expose yourself to quite as many customers quite as quickly if you go that route, for example.
1: You've been producing ethically made apparel for almost five mm-hmm. years now. How have you been communicating that message to your consumers and what are some new strategies you've planned for this year? You know, one thing I is, is that you see so many brands trying to greenwash their way into this space or market their way to this space you were on this before you know before it was quote unquote you know the cool thing to do so you know at times does that frustrate you when you see others is trying to slap a, you know slap a label on there when you when this has been part of your dna and core business
0: you know message from the start the the marketing tricks have been around for forever right um whether it's uh you know having a recycled care label in the back of a t-shirt and saying made with recycled materials when it's just the care tag or something like that. Um, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Um, It does raise a question about whether or not, um, you know, how, how well does do, do customers distinguish between um, half attempts versus uh, you know, it's kind of in the, in the framework of it, uh, you know, hard to say. Um, I tend to look at it a little bit differently. Um, I think history has told us time and time again, by and large, that people will go for products that are, are, uh, you know, they like the product, it's a good price, it's good service, and so if you can do that um that's going to be better than any kind of marketing gimmick um and that also includes like any kind of you know hey we're ethically made um as well i it's, we don't rely on that that is that's the the cherry on top of the sundae uh in my mind is um we're trying to make great products at affordable prices and we want customers to, you know, Hey, be proud that it's made in America, not buying it because it's made in America or, you know, um, that, that I don't even know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of how I look at it. Do you, you think
1: there are a lot of clients that say, Hey, I, I align with this brand because it is produced in America versus overseas. you think that is a unique?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the American made, I think they, that, uh, like that's that's one of the things that I think people overlook it's like well one of the big things about american made products is that they're ethically made by and large uh you know the united states has on a you know compared globally very good labor laws you know you're you're not going to have child labor in an american made product um you know that kind of thing so uh they they go together uh, pretty closely, but I think that gets overlooked.
1: So we'll, let's talk a little bit about sustainability. Obviously, that's that's you know on everyone's mind right now. It's I was I was really afraid at the start of COVID that this was going to be one of the top priorities that was going to find itself on the chopping block. But to my pleasant surprise, it seems to be even more important. Uh, it doesn't seem like anyone's really cutting this. Uh, it, like they're doubling down on their initiatives and their promises. You know, moving forward. How, how is Dearborn addressing the topic of sustainability?
0: Here, I think we look at it a little bit differently as well. So, um, well, I mean, just more, more just like directly, uh, we took steps last year to actually eliminate all of our fabric waste. Um, so um, kind of in the middle of last year, we really didn't have any fabric going, going to a landfill. Um, that was, that was done by, you know, sending our off cuts to, uh, you know, secondhand users of it, uh, getting stuffed into punching bags of all things, uh, and, you know, other, other applications. Um, and that was a big step. And, you know, also getting away from, uh, standard plastic shipping bags. And, uh, our, our shipping bag is actually a hundred percent compostable. Um, but on the, on the actual garment side, I'm a little bit torn about, uh, you know, there, there's clearly problems with donations. Uh, there's too much consumption of new clothing to, for any donations to go anywhere but the landfills, uh, even if they go into landfills of wherever uh, they were donated to. Um, lower consumption, in my mind, seems to be one of the better solutions, which is making more durable products. Um, You know, better products that last longer. If you, let's say you wear a pair of jeans for a year and then you buy a new pair of jeans and you wear that one for a year, right? you are going through two pairs of jeans. So um, if you have one pair of jeans and you wear it for two years or four years, um, you're going through less material. Um, You know, that's not, that's a huge savings on the uh, sustainability side. It's also a, bad business model, right? <laughs> We're going to sell you less stuff because it's good. That's not great uh, as a business side, but on a sustainable side, uh, that is good. And that's that's what we've gone with. Uh, our, our products last. I'm, I'm actually wearing the first pair of jeans right now that we ever made. It doesn't even have belt loops on it.
1: Yeah. I'm always, I'm always conflicted. There, there's some brands that are that that are out there. I won't, I won't name any that have actually said, "Don't buy a, a product this season," or you know, "Wear the one you have at home." And it's it's counterintuitive because, like you said, we, we're in the fashion business, which by default, you know, we we need to make money to keep paying our staff, to keep to keep our factories running. But at the same time, it seems that people get behind this and they and they say, "Look, this is a brand that actually cares about the environment, it cares about its workers, it cares about." you know, what it's doing and there, therefore it sells more in some ways. So it's, 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 it's a interesting, it's an interesting
0: mix. Well, we're, we have the advantage of being able to come at it from a different angle, right? So, uh, in the grand scheme of things, we're a very small business, right. Um, you know, compared to the behemoths out there, uh, not only in jeans, but in retail as well. Um, and so we can say those kinds of things and still expect our business to grow because we take up such a small percentage of the greater market share. Uh, But if you are, you know, dominant market share of some kind, um, then that's not such a great message for you to be, you know, telling your customers, right? Um, So, or you
1: could argue though, you could argue that if, if, you know, it was interesting, I was listening to the CEO of Unilever, and he was breaking down the different age demographics, you know, baby boomers and millennials and Gen Z's and each, each, you know, demographic has a very different shopping pattern. And and while, you know, baby, baby boomers may, you know, not even really resonate with sustainability and millennials may talk about it, but right now, not really do anything about it. They may say they want it, but not actually, you know, vote with their wallets. But Gen Z actually not only, you know, wants it, but they'll actually pay for it, so as we look at the future when we look at how we build our brands and the products we offer there's there's going to be a big percentage of this population that's going to be dictating the success of companies and we have to make sure that we're catering to them or companies are going to get left behind so I don't think it's really just for the small brands. I think I think to your point what, what I've seen before is if you say oh it's an extra 20 or 30 cents to put this type of fiber into a garment, you may look at it and say it's really negligible from from a margin perspective. When a big company, you know, a multi-billion-dollar enterprise does that, and and over you know hundreds of millions of units, and then you know in the boardroom they're like, oh, that's going to cost us X millions of dollars a year. They have to make a decision between that or you know a hefty dividend, and that's where it gets really really tricky because those pennies add up really fast. And I think that's where you see some of the larger companies being a little bit short-sighted. They may get a windfall today, but they may lose their business you know five years down the line. So that's where I I just, I just find it. It's it's a balance, and I think that you know if if companies don't start pivoting to to a more sustainable business practice, they're really going to lose that next. It's like selling CDs and thinking that DVDs are never going to be a big part of the market, and then DVDs is never going to be MP3s, and it's never going to be streaming. Well, we saw what happened to those those individuals.
0: I I don't know if it's also just hard for uh you know again, this is something that I don't have experience with uh coming from a you know a smaller brand but if larger brands have a much harder time convincing audiences uh that they've changed their ways or something like that i don't i'm not sure yeah i think there's 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 so many different you know elements
1: that, that come into play, and I think that you know the one thing we haven't really talked about is 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 transparency you know I think people are more suspect today so if you're going to make a claim you better be able to trace it you better be able to validate it you know people want to say you know people are putting that the factories that they operate out of right on the home page of their websites and boom you know if there if there's an issue they're, they're going to call you out so there is there is no hiding anymore you know the the upstream and downstream is is completely transparent to the consumer base so it's just i think everyone has to rethink the way they do business i mean look what's going on in china with the cotton right now like you could be on the front page of the New York Times for doing something which you didn't even – you may not even realize you were doing anything. You were just placing an order with a factory and boom, your product arrived with cotton in a region that you weren't aware of and now you're you – got a lot of problems. It wasn't malintent. It wasn't like someone maliciously tried to do that, but it's because they did not have a strong understanding and control of their supply chain that they ended up uh,
0: on the wrong side of the press. Yeah. There's – um uh, but at the same time, you're also looking at, uh, and I'm I'm aware of this, at least for online sales, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, Amazon is just going gangbusters in terms of apparel sales. Um, and their return process is not that those products go back out into circulation, uh, but it's just, it's the amount of waste that is generated from online returns Uh is, is pretty staggering so when we're talking about transparency of a, you know a total life cycle of a product uh and that sustainable angle of it um i'd be taking a careful look at how, how you're processing returns
1: you know it's funny a couple of companies you know what they're doing right now they're actually encouraging people not to return the product they're realizing that it's more expensive for them to re- pay for the return back process it through a warehouse you know sanitize it whatever that may mean today and ship it back out. I've seen promotions where it's like keep the garment at like fifty off, seventy-five percent off. And it's amazing. This is not like a one you know, this is not like a one trick, you know, company pony thing here right now. This people are realizing there's a huge expense to, to the return. So it's to your point, it's almost more lucrative for the companies not to take back the product in some case. How that's a long term business strategy, it's not. But um, Someone has to figure out the excessive returns. And one thing that Amazon has done is it's created this this playing field, which is very hard to match because everyone wants things the same day or next day. And they all want the shipping to be free. And unless you have the economies of scale of like a Walmart or an Amazon or a Zappos or whatnot, how could you afford to have – can you afford for me to buy 10 pairs of jeans and then ship back nine of them to you for free? That's probably not a – that's not a sustainable
0: business model. Uh no, it's not. Um but in terms of uh yeah, on our side we're able to, you know, we have a factory on hand, right? It gets returns get shipped back to our factory, they go back through the wash and then they're literally good as new. Um that doesn't happen with all online returns. Um so, anyways, from a from like an immediate, uh, sustainable kind of action, uh, that that would be that would be something to investigate uh, in my mind. So, Robert,
1: you know, you and I could probably speak all day, but I I want to be respectful of your time. You know, I really appreciate you joining me, and you know, congratulations again on being a Rivet 50 member. The Denim community uh, uh, is acknowledging what you're doing, uh, and it's a real privilege to be able to speak with you today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: To hear more conversations like this, visit SourceAndJournal.com and click Podcast.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty.